You're listening to The Rad Podcast, an exploration of wealth, finance, business, and entrepreneurship. Hosted by Dutch Mendenhall, founder of Rad Diversified. Carter, you can... Yeah, you guys are good to go. All right, cool. So what's up, everybody that's logging in? Uh, feel free to ask questions in the chat. Feel free to engage. Um, you know, I'm just excited, blessed to be able to do a podcast with my really good friend and, and long-term friend, one of the smartest businesswomen. Um, I, I tell you, one of the things about Mara that I enjoy is she keeps it real, right? And and she has been a generational, right, entrepreneur. And not everybody understands what that means, but it means, you know, your parents were entrepreneurs, you're an entrepreneur, you've been through the journey of different businesses and different business partners and successes and failures over the years. And you've been able to succeed and recover and your skill and talent is unique and special. And, and when I thought of, Hey, what would be a great way to start the new year? Or I thought of awesome people to, to be able to share some time with and, and have a chat about business and wealth. Um, I couldn't think of anyone better, better than you. So um, feel free to say, say hi to everybody and, and we'll get started with, with some different fun things, but everybody feel free to ask questions on the chat and the guys will get started and stuff. But, you know, Mary, just tell everybody, you know, a little bit, a little bit about yourself, you know, and, and your background and stuff. I know enough, but, but, you know, from your words. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And hi, everybody yeah. who's watching. It's good to be here. Um, I'm Mara Glazer, and I'm known as the direct response copy girl, at least at this current moment in my life. I've had many different iterations of different businesses I've had over the years, as um, Dutch was sharing. And I um, am really grateful that I got to learn how to write direct response sales copy from my father. His name is Bill Glazer and many consider him one of the marketing legends and copywriting legends. And so he taught me and trained me for three years hands-on and uh, now I get to live on his legacy and continue to do that as well. Well, it kind of brings up one of my subjects. There are things that I kind of thought, you know, might be great for us to talk about while we're on is, is I was really curious what it's like growing up with, with someone who's, you know, successful, someone who's probably got pretty high expectations for you. Right. And, 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 and been an entrepreneur and, you know, in, in the marketing world, he is, he is absolutely a legend. Right. And so what is that kind of, kind of like, and then also to even to go in the same field, right. In the same, same industry. And, and what is that, what is that like? Yeah. Well, when I was growing up, my what dad. What it's like to grow up. <laughs> so what is it like to grow up? Well, when I was growing up, my dad owned men's clothing stores. So I actually started working when I was five years old in the men's clothing stores. My first job was to take inventory of the men's boxer briefs and he paid me $5 an hour. And then I realized I could make a lot more money babysitting. So I quit. And, um, one and then from there he continued to grow his business and he met a man named Dan Kennedy who's another marketing guru legend guy and um, we actually spent many years building a business with him but when my dad started to learn marketing from Dan I got to experience hard work and work ethic because I remember my father sitting at the card table every night until two three four five in the morning writing sales letters, creating marketing campaigns. I didn't really know exactly what he was doing at the time, but I knew that um, he was working. And I think that's where I started to learn about what it takes to be successful. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a little bit, I'm in college working on my beer pong skills and my mom starts to send me these packets in the mail. And I'm like, what is this stuff? And finally I open one up one day and it's all this marketing information that my father had put together. And I got interested in it. I got intrigued in it. It was a lot more interesting than what I was learning in my marketing class at the time in college. And um, eventually I started to ask my dad if he could show me what he was doing and teach me what he's up to. And eventually I convinced him to hire me. So that's what it was like. Well, cool. Well, cool. So your dad and you worked together for quite, quite a few years, right? And, and you know, what was it like working with, with, with a parent? Well, on my uh, first day, my father told me that 
Um, I better be ready to work because I'm about to work harder than I've ever worked in my whole entire life. He actually made me work for him for free for six months first. Um, and then he also told me that if I can't figure out how to make money, that I'm going to be fired. So I better figure it out. <laughs> and um, I did. I did figure it out. Um, when I first started working at Glazer Kennedy, I actually kind of struggled because um, I felt like a lot of the team members felt like my father was giving me a handout and they didn't really want me to be there. And so I had to earn my way. And when, when I started actually generating revenue for the business and making moves in the business, um, I feel like that's when they started to accept me more. So I had to really learn how to handle difficult situations and um, kind of become liked in the workplace. And that was a whole nother skill that I, I got to learn. Um, but that, that was what my experience was like, a lot of hard work. That's when I started working nights and weekends and because I had to, and um, it was also really fun. You know, it was so great to be able to walk down the hall and spend time with my mom or walk downstairs and spend some time with my dad. And um, I wish that we could all still work together this day. That would be super great. You know, it's funny from the other end, being a, the owner, right? And then having family that works in the business, right? You feel like that same type of um, judgment, right? And 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 in a different way, it's like we we're crazy and saying here because like Mary's, who's my sister-in-law, is our director of HR. Vincent's, who's my brother-in-law, is our social media director. My brother Dory runs our residential real estate business in Philadelphia. My brother Brent um, just just joined the company. And guys who used to play baseball for me at Chafee College now is my director of traffic and, and advertising. And, and my director of uh, social communications is, is also played baseball for me. And there's other family members. Molly, who's my sister-in-law, is director of property management, right? And so, you know, we're at 75 people, but, you know, I'd say a dozen people worked you know, who work for the company or, or there's a deeper, more connected relationship beyond, beyond work. And I think when we kind of made those transitions and moves, I think there was judgment, right. From other parts of the company or from different people in the company. And, and over the years, obviously they've more than proven themselves and we've grown and, and we do great things, but it's interesting because the judgment can go both ways for the person who's bringing the family member in and for the family member who's, who, who's joining too. I, I don't know who you can trust better than your friends and family. That's, yeah. that's my thing in, in business. Like I, I'm, I, I mean, I, I have team members that have become like family, you know, and, and become connected to us and, and, and become closer and closer with us. And sometimes with team members, you never end up having that deeper connection, but at the same time, you know, we have, you know, people that have been with us, you know, eight years, seven years that, that I, I like it. I, I, I think I'll always will have that. I mean, Vanessa, obviously, you know, my wife has, has been with the company, you know, on and off different ways for so many years. Like if I have a, like a real problem, like I, this is the most trusted person I could go to and be like, okay, I can't figure this thing out. Can you, can you step in and help and, and, and fix, fix that? And I, I think when there's problems and you have a deeper connection with your people, I think it makes a huge difference to fixing it because they care beyond like, hey, this is my job. I'm going to go here and do some work today. It's like when they care, they're thinking about it, even if they're not working. And, and it's some of those thoughts that create, I think, like incredible entrepreneurial, you know, breakthroughs for us as a company and a business and stuff. So I, I love working, working with, with family. And it's also weird because you have this wealth dynamic, right? Because we're, we're working in a wealth industry, right? And so, you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's easier for me when the family works with me versus talking to family that doesn't like, they're like, what do you do for a living? Well, I make people money and build them wealth. And they're like, oh, that's great. And they like, the concept of it is very foreign to a lot of people. And so like even explaining what you do, have you ever struggled with that with like, like family that doesn't completely get it? Uh, yeah, well, a lot of my family members are still trying to figure out what the internet is. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. Well, my grandmother is 102 and thriving. So, but she doesn't know what Facebook is. So, um, yeah, sometimes I struggle with that. And even in my, um, friendships with my friends who aren't in my world, 
Um, my best friend, Chris, here in Florida, he didn't really understand what copywriting was for a long time. He thought I worked for the government and helped people get legal papers to get copyrights on their books, you know? And Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to, it took me a minute to tie in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so often I find that uh, people don't understand what I do um, and I get to explain it to them. At least do my best. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me, it, I'm not very good at friendship outside of business and, and I'm not great. Like, like, like if I'm like, like Amy's, you know, best friend in the world, right. Been my business partner for 11 years, right. My wife, obviously we stay close, but you know, my, a lot of my closer friends are people that end up working in the business. I is, I have a lot better relationship with two of my brothers because they work in the business than I would if they didn't work in the business. Do you struggle with that at all? Um, I, I have groups of friends that, um, are in my business world. And then I have friends that aren't, and I really like having both because I like to be able to chat business with my business friends, know that I can call someone if I just need to chat something out or they can call me. And then I like friends who I can just go out with and not have to talk about it and not have to worry about it. And we can just go have a good time. And so for me, I really like to have the two and sometimes they blend together and that's fun too. Yeah. So with the topic being, you know, exploring wealth, right. And, and, and I know you get and understand stand wealth in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm curious, like, kind of take us through some of your different journeys. I know you've dabbled in real estate. I know you've, you know, been able to grow a business, build a business and succeed and, and, and make good, good, good money. You know, just kind of take us through, you know, your own kind of personal wealth, wealth journey. Yeah. So um, I was working for my father at Glazer Kennedy Insider Circle, and my father sold the company to a venture capital firm. And I quickly that my time there was going to very short. So I knew that I had to do something, but I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. So my father said to me, Mara, you don't need to know what's next. You just need to keep your eyes open for your next big opportunity and just do something to get the momentum started. So I came up with this idea to start an online magazine for women entrepreneurs. It was called The Busy Buzz. And um, that I actually quit my job at Glazer Kennedy. And the next day, 40 of our best clients promoted my, uh, my magazine. And I built an email list and um, I started running the magazine and I quickly realized I didn't necessarily have the smartest business model, but what I had was an email list and a database. And so I pivoted my business and started teaching what I had done at Glazer Kennedy, which was how to make money with social media to that list. Um, and I was able to basically turn what wasn't working into something that was working. And then from there, I did a lot of coaching on how to build a business online, online marketing. Um, and then I got involved in um, flipping houses. I had seen it on TV. It was kind of interesting to me. And I met a woman who was teaching women how to do it. So I started to flip and I flipped a couple houses um, and I did okay. I would do way better now, now that I know what I have learned. And um, then I partnered in a business teaching women how to flip houses, kind of continued on that journey. And then um, people started asking me if I would write their sales copy for them. And so I started to do that on the side for a while. So I, I kind of started to grow that and um, then uh, it grew even more and then it grew even more and then COVID happened. And um, a lot of my clients who had seven and eight figure businesses started pulling their contracts and started pulling their projects because they were just uncertain about what was going to happen next. So then I got a little nervous and um, had to really figure out what I was going to do. So I had some e-commerce dreams and um I hired somebody, I hired a mentor to teach me how to do drop shipping. I found this beach towel on Ali, uh, Alibaba. I set up a website. I started running some Facebook ads and two months later, we sold over 20,000 beach towels during a pandemic when nobody could leave their house. Uh, we hit the market at the right time. It was right about the time that all the stimulus checks hit. So we were literally getting orders for like $600 of beach towels, like lots and lots of orders. And um, that was a quick high and a quick low um, because um, FedEx 
took about 15,000 of my packages and put it in a storage warehouse for two and a half months because of COVID. So then I had to figure out what to do next with that. <laughs> so I brought the clothes over. I'm sorry, I brought the towels over here and they started selling clothes and I continued to do that. I got my, um, my copy business back up and running. I decided to shut down the e-commerce and go all in on the copy. And that's what we've been doing ever since. My copy business is thriving. I have a team of writers now. I have a proofreader. I've got some other team members on the team. And um, that's kind of my journey. I've had high highs. I've had low lows. And my high highs have carried me through my low lows. It, it's so fascinating to listen to you because that <clears throat> that nonstop belief, right? That nonstop process right to the next to the next to the next it kind of goes back to what your dad was saying in the beginning which is which is until you find your next big thing you have to do your next thing and continue you know down that journey and so for like for me I just always wanted to get away from real estate right and and I fought as hard as I could to get away from real estate and then it just kept pulling me back in right no matter kind of like like I just, I think because my parents were serial real estate people and had, you know, their struggles and I kind of understood them. It made a big difference in that overall journey. And eventually I surrendered to what I felt was like more of my business purpose and, and more of the way the world just, no matter how hard I fought it. And this is a hard one for a lot of people to understand, no matter how hard I fought it, the world kept aligning for me to do real estate. It kept pulling me back in, right? In, in that sense. And I think maybe kind of with you with, with the copywriting and, and delivering powerful messages and, and helping people, you know, make their brand, you know, what it's supposed to be is, is kind of maybe, you know, a calling and, 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 and alignment. And maybe that'll change, you know, as, as you continue down, down that journey. You know, the founder of the UFC, like Dana White said, like in the middle of the pandemic, he was like, you know, while everybody else is struggling or failing, he's like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer, you know? And, and I kind of felt that same mentality through that pandemic. And it kind of sounds like you came out of this, you know, obviously a lot stronger than, than in, in, in your copy world and your belief in your, in your, your unique genius, right. Then, than than what was, what was before um, kind of talk about like how that, that feeling when you feel like you're in your zone. Oh man, <laughs> when I feel like I'm in my zone. Oh gosh, I've never done drugs, but I imagine that's what it feels like <laughs> is when I'm in my zone. <laughs> um, so um, my most favorite thing actually is there's two things that I really love about what I do and those moments when I feel like I'm in my zone. So one is when I'm doing things like this and when I'm teaching and sharing, especially about copywriting and strategies that work to make more money online with copywriting and with the right words that sell. Um, that's one of the things I love speaking that, that makes me feel in my flow. And then the other thing is when I find out that one of the campaigns we created just absolutely crushed it. And that's the other time that I find that I'm in my flow. And um, those, those moments carry me through some of the other times where I don't feel like I'm necessarily in my flow. And um, for me, it's, it's, it just keeps me excited about what I get to do. Talk about when you have a client that hits, right? You know, when you find, you know, this silver lining, right? When it, when it really turns to something beyond like an idea or a concept that, that there's a campaign or, or an offer or a message that, that, that hits, what are some of the common, more common traits that you find when, when, when you're finding those types of clients or you're finding those kind of businesses that find this, you know, beyond what's normal, right? Su success, success drive. Yeah. So um, the products um, that we've written campaigns for that have done the best, um, there's kind of fit into one of two worlds. So one, either it's super cool and unique and different and people haven't really seen it before. Maybe it hits with what's going on with the current marketplace. Like we've had the opportunity to write campaigns for a lot of things around what's going on with COVID uh, physical products. Um, or our campaigns that hit really well are um, ones where the person who is maybe the face of the business um, has a big audience that already loves them and they will like literally buy anything that they put out. We just need to package it and position it and message it the right way. 
Um, and there's a couple things that we do to do that. So one of the lessons my father taught me when I first started working with him is the best and easiest way to make money is to ask your customers what they want and then give it to them. So one of the things that we do is um, we always survey the audiences of the, um, the companies that we're writing for to find out what their audience wants, what their desires are, what their, feel, their fears are. Um, and so we can use their own words in our messaging so that they feel like we are reading their minds and, and that we get them. I'm actually um, remembering a campaign that we did in the niche of teaching women how to flip houses. Um, we had thought, we were so convinced that what these women wanted was to figure out how to have a six or seven figure a year business flipping houses because like, who wouldn't want that? That sounds so cool. And we surveyed the audience and I'm so glad that we did because we found out what they wanted was much different. What they really wanted is to flip a few houses a year so that they could quit their job and replace their income and then take the rest of the year off to do what they love. And so that was, that's really different messaging, right? So we um, wrote it based upon what they told us. And it was a smashing success. Another differentiator for us, and I think something that we do really well, where I see a lot of um, messaging go, go wrong, is um, we do a really good job of making our case. It helps that I'm Jewish because Jewish people are really good at that. <laughs> and I just learned that in my family, but um, I could be a lawyer. Like I would be like the best lawyer ever. I probably should have done that. Um, but we're just really good at making the case of why this product or this program or this thing is the best thing for the person reading this, why they need it, why they need it right now. And that's one of the differentiators between a campaign that hits and one that doesn't hit. And then, um, like last week, I, I struggle. I struggle with that. You know, I feel like, like I can sit here and make my case and be like, Hey, you know, as a investment fund, we had a 40% return in 2021 as an investment fund, we're SEC qualified and we have third-party auditors and we have a better personal relationship with our investors than any company I know out there. Right. We connect with them. You know, we deal with their challenges. We hold their hand and talk to them. Right. And I can make that case, but I, I feel very good when I make, make that case, but when I see it written, or I see someone else trying to communicate about us, who's somebody maybe who's promoting us or sharing that message. I always feel like, like it's not enough. Like, 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 I, like, like I feel we're this badass real estate investment company that does something unique and special. And, and, and a lot of people are so scared because they feel like, you know, they're going to get screwed or they're going to get taken advantage of, or they're going to get stolen from, or, you know, do I trust this company? Do I not trust this company? Right. And, our ability from a credibility and a trust standpoint, in my mind, is night and day compared to everyone else. But I never feel like it's communicated, whether it's on our websites or it's in our email copy or different things. And I think that's a continuous frustration for me. It's like today I signed loan docs five seconds before I walked in here and we did a purchase and a refi, right? And we, you know, buying 20 to 30 house. Like these are things that I know that we're doing on a daily basis and we work to communicate it. And obviously we're a successful business, but it, it, I always feel like, like it's here and, but it, we're still like my ability to communicate what I want to communicate it is still back here. Is that, yeah. So that's going <laughs> to just go into your point of what, of, of what, 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 what you're saying and stuff with making, making, making the case and stuff. It's, it's yeah. interesting. Well, you probably do a better job than you think Dutch, because you are quite, quite a wordsmith yourself. And, um, you know, I think, I think everything you shared is part of making the case, but there's other parts of it too. It's you're right. There's a, most consumers are jaded because they have had bad experiences in some capacity. Well, there's so much terrible shit out there. Right, that's right. And if they haven't had the bad experience, they know someone who has. So- Which um, is almost worse. Which, right, <laughs> that's Cause, right. Cause I like- That person. <laughs> like when we're recovering somebody, I call it recovering them, right? When we're recovering somebody from being hurt, it's actually easier than recovering someone who, um, who's been told about somebody being hurt or they know someone who's been hurt. Right. That, that is actually much more difficult to recover than the person who's actually been hurt because the person who's been hurt has at least taken that forward step. Right. They stepped in. They believed. Right. And they want to believe 
it's the person who never stepped in, which is a far harder sell because, and then has heard, you know what I mean about somebody who's been, who's been hurt is far harder than the other. So I don't even think I've ever even really thought that or said that before, but in this conversation, I know it to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, what I teach, um, I call it the situation explanation, which means you've got to explain everything. So every possible objection that could come up in your um, ideal client or prospect's mind, um, especially the big, the biggest ones, all needs to be explained in the sales copy. So maybe a little bit different for your niche than a lot of the niches we write in, but we write for a lot of course creators. So we talk about why is there a discount? Why is the price going up? Why is the price going up on the day that it's going up? Why is there a guarantee? We just explain why for everything. Why, 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 why? And we try to bust a lot of those objections before they even pop up in the person's mind so that by the time it gets to the offer or the time that they have to make that decision about buying, a lot of those questions are kind of washed away. Um, that's our approach and our philosophy about it. So we're getting about halfway through and everybody who's, you know, on how many, how, we, how many people do we have on? So we got 25, 30 people on, just feel free to ask questions in the chat box, anything that we're talking about that you want to know about. I'll open it up to questions in, in, in a little bit. You know, I think, you know, Mayor, one of the things I, I always think about is like the exchange and, and the value of the exchange, right? When you go and sell 20,000 beach towels, right? And I'm like, well, what's the commission on a beach towel, you know? And, and what was your margin on a beach towel? Oh gosh. Well, depending how many you ordered, but um, some of those orders we were making over 50%, 60%, depending so upon if you the sell, order. I mean, if you sell 20,000 beach towels and you make $10 a beach towel, you could definitely, you know, definitely, you know, make 200 grand. That's, that sounds like a pretty good, pretty good, pretty good exchange. Um, for me, I've always wanted to do high-end exchanges. I think I've always been drawn to the more high-end exchange versus the, the, the volume, the volume exchange. But I think either exchange is, can be, can be very profitable depending on, you know, what, what are the costs and what are the aspects and, you know, the cost of acquiring a customer and, and what is the lifetime value of, of customers and, and those kind of things. And, and for a long time in our business, you know, we, we ran so fast that, you know, the tracking and the data behind it, you know, wasn't fully understood. And, and I think one of the things people don't realize is like when you're talking about these concepts that, that Mara is talking about when it comes to your business, the difference of, of a 10% increase in, in, I mean, decrease in acquisition costs or a 10% increase in conversion, right? Those, those two 10% increases can be the difference between <clears throat> a business that, that, that is just struggling to get by every single day and a business that is, is, is exploding and, and succeeding through, through the roof. And, and, you know, those two tens are, 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 are crazy when it comes to business. I look at <clears throat> when uh, my old business partner, Randall, when he left, when he left the business and, and, you know, we were able to buy him out and stuff, right. It wasn't a bunch of changes that we made and we were succeeding and having a good successful business. Right. But I think if, if you just look at those two things, 10%, you know, less to acquire a tribe member, you know, and 10% more when it came to converting a tribe member into, you know, uh, an investor or into a high-end customer, you know, is the difference between us growing at 5 million a year to, to 7 million a year um, in, in, in investment income, investment revenue to jumping from 30 million to hundred million in assets in 12 months. And that's just those two 10 rules. And so I go back to, as you're listening to this, that ability to convey that message effectively and, and, and make some of those, those proper exchanges. And, and I'm not even in the ballpark of understanding it to the science or the art behind it of what, of what Mary is. It's just, I stress that how critical that, that exchange is in there. When you are thinking about the product or different thing, right. That, that, that the thing, right. The widget, are you more focused on the consumer and the avatar, right. Then you are on what the widget and the product is, or talk, talk, talk a little bit like the balance or the exchange exchange with that, with, with selling stuff. Yeah. Um, they're both really important. Um, because 
you need to be able to speak to the customer in a way that they feel seen and heard and identified. And at the same time, you need to do a good job of telling them what it is that they're going to get and why it's going to help them. So there's a really important balance between the two of those, um, the two of those categories. It's not just one or the other. Um, you know, you would even if you did a really great job explaining the thing that's being sold and you missed the mark on the conversation that goes on in the buyer's mind, they wouldn't be interested in the thing that you were selling. And if you did a really great job of nailing who your buyer was and speaking to them, but did a bad job explaining what they were about to buy, they probably wouldn't buy it either. So you need to have a really good balance of, of both of those things. Um, it's a bit of an art and a science. Um, it's not one or the other. Um, it takes a little bit of formula that you kind of figure out over the years after you do it enough times and also a little bit of craft and art and creativity to make that happen. Yeah, I think we've been heavy at different times on on, on one or the other. I think for a long time, as we were growing our business and, and you know, making it right, just just getting out the door, just just trying to survive, you know, I think we spent a lot more time on who the consumer was, right? And selling the consumer. And then I think as we got further down the road and our product got better and and got more, you know, time in business and we felt more credible and more legitimate, I think we started to focus much more on what our product was and we kind of lost track a little bit of the consumer, the consumer. And 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 granted, you never completely lose track, but but I think over the evolution of businesses over the years, right? I can see in this conversation how we shifted or changed some of our exchanges of, of what that communication with was with the outside world because of, you know, well, we're proud of our product, right? And we, we, we you know, have built something. And so then we focused more on that versus, you know, that language that consumers, you know, are having in their head. And, and, and for us, you know, being an investment company, I, I think, I've always felt that their biggest one is I don't want to get screwed. Right. And, and their second one is, but I do want to make money and okay. which is a very dangerous concept. But at the same time, I think if we surveyed them, I might find out some different, some, some different pieces to that conversation. Um, just with my team or if some people ask some questions or in the chat box and, and those kind of things that are, that are in there, can you see? Yeah, I can see them. I can see. Them. Oh, you can see them. Cool. I don't, they don't give me a computer. They don't let me touch the computer <laughs> during, during the podcast. So um, do you want me to answer that? Yeah. Jump in fire away. This is the, Our, this is, this is the Mary show. Oh boy. Okay. Um, it's also getting darker in here. I don't know if you're going to see that. I, yeah. I, I, I can kind of tell, but I feel a little whitewashed with the lights in here. So <laughs> like I'd have, like, I'm like, like, I haven't had sun in 10 years as I'm looking at my own picture. I don't know if it looks that way to you, but as I look at my picture, that's how it looks to me. No, you guys start perfect. adjusting. You look perfect. Cool. Um, so one of the questions is some ad copy seems to be too long. How do you know when enough is enough in a way that you write? So um, this actually kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. So people buy um, in different ways and for different reasons. Okay. I'm the type of buyer that buys, I just want to know what I'm going to get, how it's going to help me and how much it's going to cost. And if there's an ROI component, what that looks like, I just want those facts and I'm going to make my decision, but not everybody buys that way. A lot of people also buy from an emotional standpoint, right? They need to feel a connection with the person that's selling to them. Um, they need to have more trust, um, they need to know all the little nitty gritty details. And so what I like to keep in mind in all the campaigns that we create is that different people buy in different ways. And because of that, we need to craft our copy to speak to all the types of buyers. So we need to craft our copy to speak to the ones who just buy with quick information. How's it gonna help them like me? Those would be shorter emails or shorter copy. And then we need to also include copy that's going to speak to the people who buy more emotionally. Those would be longer emails or longer form copy. When I need to choose between the two, I err on the side of longer form. Longer form usually outperforms shorter form, but I need to mix in some short form to be able to really target those people that make quick decisions like I do myself. So when it comes to an email campaign, we really like to mix long and short copy and all of our sales pages are long form. 
Um, some of them are like mini books, to be honest with you. So Bob, that should hopefully answer your question. Um, I love that. And, and as you know, everything for me is always math. And, and it's like when I'm running, like if you say, you know, short form, long form, or is this enough or is that enough? You know, traffic will always tell you answers on, on, on the conversion, but you got to run math all the way through the process. Cause just cause your numbers are better at the front door doesn't mean they're better at the back door, which is always something to pay, pay attention to. Um, but what's the next question, Mary? Yeah, there's another one from Bob. And um, so Bob says, my impression is that copywriting works best in the B to C, the business to consumer world. He works in the B to B and they work B to B and B to C. So I rarely have ever work with the C's. Okay, basically he wants to notice copy work, I think for B to C or B to B. So um, it's really important to have direct response sales copy, no matter if you're B to C or B to B. Um, direct response sales copy is basically every single word that you use to sell your product program or service. And it's not even the written word. It's also the spoken word too. So if I'm actually going to sell something on the phone or on a stage, for example, like me and Dutch have done before together, um, a lot of times I'll actually write out a sales letter because it helps me to formulate my sales message that I want to come across and to get across. So um, if you think about it, even if you're working in B2B, you still need to communicate what you're selling, who it's for, who it's not for, why people need it, what's so great about it, um, what your guarantee is, how it works, and that is copy and that is words. And those are the words that are going to help you to sell. So you might be writing different kinds of copy than maybe B to B2C, maybe not, but it's relevant and important no matter who you're selling to. Yeah. So for me, we buy from a lot of B2B, right? So we're, we're, you know, we're buying different products and different things on, on a daily basis. And so a lot of the things that come my way that I'm going to buy come through a connection relationship, word of mouth, but that doesn't mean that I'm into doing business just because it came to me that way. I go back and I check their credibility. I go back and I look them up. I go back and want to understand who they are and stuff. And so the, 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 for me, them having good stuff, behind them, right, is when I'm kind of fact checking and I'm doing my due diligence on a company and different things. And it's, it's like, for example, like to me, people will be like, well, having a social presence isn't, isn't that important or, or, or isn't that big. And I go back and I look at like companies all the time to say, you know, do they have a social presence? How long have they been in business? What is their background? What is their experience? Right? Like I had a, not that long ago, a home builder, this person brought me just this idea of these, you know, ADUs and building these, you know, automatic, you know, homes that we could drop, you know, right onto properties and different things. And as I went and did my background check between their websites and their and their social media and their other parts, I was like, they, they haven't done this before, you know? And, 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 and for me, I can't do business with people that have never done anything before. And, and I'm just, you know, we're at a place where like, it goes back to richest man in Babylon, right? I don't invest or I don't, you know, ask people to do things who've never done something before. Right. That's what internships are for and, and for beginning something new. And, and that sucks when you're working to be an entrepreneur and you're working to start something fresh and new, but at the same time, as I do due diligence and different things, I got to make sure that stuff is, is, is credible and legitimate. And so I use, as I go back and I do my research on companies B2B, that there's a lot of, a lot of truth for that behind that for me. Yeah. Awesome. That's really awesome. And, um, there's, um, a lot of copywriting that goes into, um, educating on the social proof and actually marketing the social proof too. So um, if you are selling in that regard, I think it's important to realize that the social proof on its own is great, but you can actually amplify the social proof if you do a good job writing about it and sharing about it. Um, so direct response copy is relevant for all. <laughs> What's, is there is more in the chat box? There is one more, but I don't quite understand the question. Um, he has the same last name as you, so it might be one of your relatives from Brent. Yeah. Brent, he said, oh, go ahead. So it's interesting. So Brent joined the company. Brent actually is was like 20 plus years, like PSYOPs, Army. Um, and so so they're actually pretty experienced copywriters in their own regard and and, and what they did in, in the world. So, but go ahead. What's, what's the question? 
So he says, Mara, would you consider knowing your target audience? Sorry, terminology is military-based in PSYOP, more of the science aspect. Oh, the science versus the art as mm -hmm. knowing. Oh, got it. No, um, I think there's a, there's a science to knowing your target audience and an art to knowing your target audience. The science is how to analyze the data that they give you or the responses that they give you to find patterns in their languaging and also in their emotional um, needs, desires, wants, fears, and things like that. And then there's an art to it too, which is kind of being able to use your intuition to, to take that information and get inside their mind and convey your message to them in a way that would resonate with their feelings and thoughts. So it's a balance between the two. Once I read it out loud, I got the question. <laughs> so when you, when it comes to science, right, I, I think of some, some like ways of, of like, you know, labeling consumers or, 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 or being able to, you know, understand avatars in different ways. And so like the money couple, I always go back to them, like when it comes to money, personality types, and, you know, they, they actually sold to a, to another um, company that actually bought the money couple brand and, and, and an individual named uh, Taylor Kovar. And, and he's been on our podcast and, and he's a real, real cool guy. And so I look at like money personality types, you know, there's, there's five of them. And, and so we kind of use that when we're working on talking to consumers in, in different ways, but, but I think we don't spend enough time like storyboarding and whiteboarding, right. The, the avatar or using those different personality types to do it. And so, but I'm curious what, what yours are. So there's spender, security seeker, saver, uh, flyer, and uh, risk taker. So flyers like somebody who, you know, doesn't ever want to fight or argue about money. They definitely don't want to be like a household CFO or something like that. But the, the other four are pretty, explanatory do you do you did you do those ever do those back in the day i haven't i haven't done oh, that it's really cool if you go to the moneycouple.com they um they they doing that money personality test is, is a lot of fun just for kind of understanding um i would imagine there's definitely some portion of spender in there for you and <laughs> no. risk take and risk taker and risk, <laughs> risk taker in there um, it's funny when Vanessa did hers, when my wife did hers, she did, uh, she always thought she was like a saver security seeker. And I always told her that was impossible and she never would agree with me. And I said, that's impossible to be married to someone like me and have those as your two money personality type. So she ended up being a, a security seeker and a, a risk taker. Um, and, and so we, we use some of those when it, when it comes to copy and stuff. So like relationship with money, like what does money mean to you when you think about, you know, growing a business or life and those kind of things, talk about that a little bit. Oh my goodness. Um, I've never, I don't think I've been asked that question before. So money to me, I mean, money to me gives me the ability to live the life that I want to live. That's how I, I look at it, um, from a personal standpoint. Um, and so, you know, I feel like the, the more money I make and the more smart decisions that I make about how I'm going to use my money, the, um, more freedoms I can have in my life. Um, and the more awesome experiences I get to have in my life and the more spending I get to do in my life. Thank you, Dutch, <laughs> for calling me out on that one. Um, and then I also look at money as a tool. Um, especially, um, now in more recent years, I've, um, been reading a lot about investing. Um, I probably know a little bit more now about what you do over the past couple of years than I would have known a couple of years ago. Um, I just did the 75 hard challenge over the summer and you have to read 10 pages every single day. So I was reading about investing. I read all investing books during 75 hard because I wanted to learn more about it. Which one was the best one? Um, Oh man, I think there's probably better ones than the ones that I read, to be honest with you. But I really learned a lot from this one book that was very simple called How Money Works. And it was a very simple book. And um, it just kind of gave me like a overview of all the info, but I'd love some of your book recommendations. That would be cool. <laughs> Do you remember who the author of the How Money Works Works book was? Don't remember. Well, we'll, we'll, look, it, we'll look it up and then uh, like, we'll throw it in the comments for people and stuff. I mean, my, my number one book has always been richest man in Babylon. Okay. I think when it comes to money and understanding money, that has been 
I'll tell you, beats anything else that I've ever done, you know, and I did all kinds of different research and different studies, but I'll tell you, I come back to richest men in, in Babylon over and over when it comes to how I handle money, how I invest, who I invest with. Um, and it's a short read. I mean, I remember the first time I read it, I think it was just on one plane ride and I read it on one plane ride, like two hours and, and I knocked it out and it was, you know, I read really fast, but at the same time, like, but I've read it, you know, many, many times over the years. And, and I think some of the most important principles for me in that one was just, you know, that my money needs to be in like different buckets, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's my investing bucket, my security bucket, my exchanges, you know, all types of different ways, you know, when it comes to how I invest my money and where I put my money in different ways. And I know it sounds crazy, but even with running an investment fund, I keep all the money in buckets, right? And, and there's the higher risk, right? For, for greater reward, which is, you know, a small percentage of our, of our fund. And then there's my lower risk, you know, that is, you know, no matter what happens, this is safe and secure. And then I have, you know, my, you know, stuff in the middle ground there when it comes to money. And, you know, I think another one was, you know, investing in, in people with a track record and history of success. Like I, I always go back to when I'm thinking of, you know, whether I'm investing in it, like a, an employee or a team member, you know, and, and that track record in history, or I, I go to, you know, this person brings me this business idea um, to go and invest with it, or this real estate project to invest with it. And so I go back and think, and there's a lot of other things. And it's like, another one was like, and it was uh, your money is like an employee, right? And every dollar is an employee. And so put as many, you know, dollars, as many employees to work as you can, um, because if your money's working for you, then you don't have to work. Mm-hmm. And I still never stop working, but at the same time, <laughs> that that's one of my, my favorite concepts for, for sure. Obviously, um, think and grow rich is, is, is a good, you know, is, is a good book. And I love the, you know, surrounding yourself and the mastermind principles and a lot of different things from that. <clears throat> but I'll tell you over the years, more from people, I've learned more about money directly from different people than I ever have from, no matter how many books I read, no matter how many, you know, um, you know, courses I've taken over the years, it's people that have money. I've always been the people that have been able to teach me about, about, about money. Right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I go back to, to Roland Frazier, you know, he's one of the smartest, you know, men that, 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 you know, I experienced in my twenties, you know, grow, growing, growing up in the business world and stuff. And I used to ask him money questions all the time you know, and, and he's definitely was a, a real smart man when it came to money and understanding money. And I think I continue, you know, over the years to, to reach out to different people that I know have had a different kind of level of success, you know, and, and, you know, there's only so many people in the world that, that have success beyond, you know, once you've succeeded and you've, you know, built your first wealth and your first business, and it's continuing to be successful, the, the group of people you can look to for mentorship becomes smaller and smaller and, and, and finding the ones that aren't full of crap is really important too. And I always, I always, I always look, look to people that I can have those conversations with. It's really important. I love the podcast because I can ask people about money or economy or, or different things all the time too. And I'll tell you on quite a few of our podcasts, I've learned different things from some different people. Another good one, Bill Barnett is, is somebody I talked to for a long time about money and when I want to talk to somebody about money, but there's just different people over the years that, that having those conversations is really key. I think as part of the process, how, how about you? Who's somebody that, that, you know, you've talked to or over the years or you're like, ah, that, that, that made a difference in, in how I see money besides including your dad, of course. <laughs> well, I was actually going to say my mom, <laughs> Mom, there you go. Mom, the real brains behind that business. Um, well, my mom was the CFO and my mm-hmm. mom is also, um, a CPA and, um, my mom did some very smart things for us when we were young. So that me and my brother, um, would, you know, be set up to be financially successful in our lives. And, um, so wealth building, wealth building tip, you know, number 11 is, is find a really good partner when it comes to money. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, it's funny. I run an investment fund and I make people a lot of, you know, money and we do do that. But my wife runs, you know, our household is our household CFO and runs, you know, a lot of our personal investments and, and some of those personal things, not that we don't exchange and talk about it and different things, but the day-to-day of like personal money, my wife actually runs more of that. And I've always wanted to stay like, I believe that if I'm worried about the next thing that I'm going to do personally with money, right, 
it keeps me from making what I feel is like the right best decision for, for the business, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I start worrying about the decision I make for the business, how that's going to impact my personal finances, then I'm not making the right decisions for, for the business. And so that was something a few years ago, you know, when I was looking at like, like granted, I think you have to pay yourself when you run a business. And a lot of people kind of make that mistake in the beginning, especially where like they just live off of the exchange um, or they try to live off of, you know, some of the money and they don't actually pay themselves. And that's always a huge mistake when you're an entrepreneur, because if you don't pay yourself, you're not rewarding yourself and you're not creating value upon what you do and what you're doing. And, and, and it creates a bad psychological paradigm with, within, within being an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur. But at this, like for me, when I got past the point of, okay, we pay ourselves. Okay. My finances are taken care of. Okay. This is taken care of at this point. I'm not really worried about personal wealth anymore. Right. That part's handled in, in my life. And, and so now I can make the right decisions for me. That's going to continue to grow the business and build the business versus, you know, how do I make more? How do I personally put more in the bank? Because then I've always felt that the money takes care of itself and, and it always has, has, has for us. And so it's, some of my, my, my thoughts. I don't know. You're pretty good at paying yourself, aren't you? I'm pretty good at paying myself. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I have to do all that spending. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yes and no, <laughs> but, um, into the spending, but yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've, I've always paid myself at least something. And then, um, now over the years have been able to pay myself more, um, and consistently every single month. And um, it's really rewarding, rewarding to see all your hard work that you do um, kind of add up and go into your bank account and be able to live a really awesome life from it. Um, and then what I've been doing now more as an adult is continuing to invest in, and learn learn about that. Um, I had a, I had a goal this year to invest privately in a company or last year, I guess, cause we're in a new year and I was able to do that. And I, um, I found one that's pretty neat. And, um, so that was exciting for me and uh, I want to do something like that again this year. Is it a company that takes, takes in investments, more investors, more investments? Um, I don't know if they are now they were at the time. Yeah. It's actually like a hearing protection and hearing aid company. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who, who would have thought that I would invest in something like that? <laughs> Just kind of popped on my lap. <laughs> it was kind of cool. So, um, so yeah, actually, I, I don't know if you know this story, but I was, I mentioned my mom and how she kind of teach, uh, like teaches me about money and has taught me about money. So um, I got that bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah when I, when I was 13. And uh, there's about to be a lot of 13 numbers coming up. So when I was 13, I got bat mitzvah. And when you get bat mitzvah, people give you gifts and they give you money. So I made $13,000 at my bat mitzvah. Okay. So my, I wanted a computer. And so at the time, computers were more expensive than they are now. So my mom mm -hmm. let me buy a computer. The computer was $1,300. And then my mom told me that she lost all the money. She told me she lost it. Didn't know where it went. Sorry, Mara, I lost it. And she actually took the money and she invested it for me. And I found out when I got in my twenties and I was very happy that she lost that money <laughs> in my twenties. So best lie ever. <laughs> As a parent, I, it's fascinating because I grew up growing up poor, right. And, and not having, like I didn't have any other concept or understanding of money growing, growing up. I knew I could make it. That's the one thing I knew growing up is, is I knew how to make money. Like, like, because I like sold paper routes and I had my own, you know, snow removal thing. And I had my own, you know, uh, what do you call it? Landscaping mowing lawns, not really landscaping thing. And, and, and I could always sell in, in, in some way, even as a kid. So I always knew I could make money, but as far as like a concept or understanding now with my, with my sons, like I make them, I don't make them give me money. Right. So I, I got rid of that concept because a lot of people are like, well, if you make them tithe, right. And then you make them invest something and you make them save something and that whole kind of thing. Right. And it, it's fascinating that I've, we never created that situation yet where they have to give us money, but my sons over the years, you know, I educate them on money and I educate them on investing as in little kid ways. Right. 
And so now my kids will like give me money and they'll be like, dad, buy us another house or dad, buy us a house. Right. And, and, and it's funny, my son, Micah always finds money. Like he has like, like literally walking on the street, like he'll find a $20 bill. Like he, like he is just like, got that attraction to money thing. So with my sons, I, I seek to like have them around it and kind of be aware of it. And, and I think through the, like the regular conversations, like I, you know, my, my son, Tony absolutely knows he's like a gifts kid and he knows he's a spender and, you know, and I know my son, Micah probably takes more after his mom where he's like, he likes to put something on the side and, 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 and he likes, like, he's kind of a money hoarder too. So he's got a piggy bank that's completely full somehow. I don't even know how that's possible um, because they don't get paid for anything. So it's interesting as you like grow up and then you see like the difference of, of different people. And so that relationship with your mom is, is, is really cool that she was able to like, kind of start that, start the investing for you before you even knew that might be a Jewish cultural, cultural thing where you guys are a little, you know, better about money than, 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 than us non, non, non-Jewish people. So my mom's also sneaky. <laughs> trying to think of a good joke, but I couldn't think of one. So it probably would have been inappropriate. So <laughs> All right, we got a couple more questions. Go, go, go ahead. Oh, I don't see any more. Buddy did find the book, so that is the book. So it's pretty. It's a pretty basic book, um, but he pop- popped that into the chat. How many? Oh, cool. Stop being a sucker, by Steve Seabold and Tom Matthews. Um, yeah, there's no other questions in there that I see. So he says he has a question for Rad. Go ahead. Yeah, is red product listed for sale or approved for sale in Canada? And if it is, uh, does it require a U.S. tax return? I kind of got blown up on a couple of projects in Phoenix a number of years ago. And if uh, if I see numbers that look nice, I'd like to learn a little bit more about it, but not if it comes at the expense of having to write, file in the state and federal tax returns. So this it's a good kind of off-topic question, and I love let me answer it for you the best way I can. I always go with that caveat. I'm not a financial advisor or a lawyer or an accountant, so I can't give financial or accounting or legal advice. But the my experiences and my understanding was one of the reasons we became a REIT um, in the beginning was because our foreign investors only get taxed once when they invest in an American REIT. Um, and so that's one of one of one of the one of the the caveats, right? Um, and I think the other thing is we have Canadian investors invest with us all the time. So there's no, not a challenge, um, with, with investing, investing, investing with us. And then we actually have, um, Alan Pan, you know, if you want to write a more detailed question, he's our, um, director of international investment and he's Canadian actually. So, um, he's really good at answering some of those Canadian questions. And so if you actually write, that question kind of in and maybe a little bit more detail with exactly what you want. We'll make sure he gets a response out, out to you too. Can you put his address in the text box? Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, you can just send it over to uh, just send it over to the Dutch at rad diversified and then we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it in his hands for you quick. I'm actually, I think it might be Alan at rad diversified, but I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it memorized. So I'll make sure he gets it. That's not my email though, for anybody who thinks that they want to personally email me. It's a, it's a general um, company email, but I do, I do read it from time to time. Cause I like to know what is being communicated back and forth with you and our team and our tribe and stuff. So. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. Any other questions that people are popping up? Now's a great time to, to ask um, you and you can ask anything. If you want to ask about rad, if you want to ask about, uh, marketing and copy and exchange and money, you know, um, or even a, just a general money question is, is, is perfectly happy for, for you guys to do that too. Just looking at her guys. Okay, cool. Well, well, Mara, you know, that is kind of about an hour and, and that's what we do, do these, do these suckers for. Thank you so much for being here and, and being awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Good to chat again. I am excited about moving to Tampa and and being being able to come hang out with 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 you and and, and I'm sure Vanessa's really excited about that too. And uh, be be pretty cool for you to be able to meet my boys too. So that'll be pretty cool. I've been wanting to meet them. When is the big move? March, March. Oh, okay. So, awesome. Yeah, so we've we've been under contract. We purchased. Um, we went all the way back in October. 
but they weren't the family we for the house we wanted the family wasn't ready to move until march and so we were so we were on that holding holding pattern because i spent a lot of time looking i literally looked at like hundreds of properties online and then probably saw 40 plus in person um which for a real estate guy you think wouldn't be that much but even that many <laughs> properties is a lot to look at so yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm actually under contract right now for a house and I move, we close on Friday, next Friday, and I move in the week after. And um, this is my third one under contract. There's some that fell through, all sorts of different problems. One was sinking into the ground. And so, yeah, same boat. I looked at many. So. Well, if you need any, you know, being an entrepreneur and stuff with on the financing side, you know, our team's really used to doing that kind of stuff. So if you need any help, with that kind of stuff. I mean, you probably already got it squared away, but my team's really good at, at being able to help entrepreneurs with, with that kind of thing, just because we have to do it every day, you know, oh. with, with what we do and stuff. So. Thank but, you. I'll squared away on this one, but now I know cool. for the next one. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk soon and uh, great, great. Later, later tribe. Bye. Thank you for listening to the rad podcast, an exploration of wealth. For more information, please visit our website, www dot raddiversified.com we'd love to hear from you please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing